0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our
1: relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, and the last time We covered the parable. We've been in the parables of Jesus. These are great, enigmatic um, kind of word puzzles that Jesus puts out there. And for those that really want to know more of the things of God, they'll apply themselves to try to understand that. So the parable of the shrewd servant last Sunday was a really good um, parable that Jesus talked to believers about the wise use of opportunities. You know, what do we do with our time? You know, we do anything to further the kingdom of God. Um, it could be our finances, it could be just personal contacts, it could be any anything that we do, our time, our energy, our devotion. And it's kind of funny because a few days ago my son and I were in the car and we drove to a gas station that I never go to. And I roll down the window and the attendant looks at me and he goes, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, great, how are you? He goes, I haven't seen you in a while. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, uh... He goes, uh... Where have you been? I said, oh, I've been to church. You know, I'm learning about God and I'm telling them about the church and I didn't miss a beat. And uh, so I gave him the card, some scripture, and we drove away. My son turns to me and goes, Who is that? I said, I have no idea. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I said, But you saw what I did, right? He goes, Yeah. So, you know, we do a lot of things and we, we use resources, but it, it's so important. People. God loves people, He loves souls. Today we're going to be in the parable of the unforgiving servant. This is a really good one. They're all good, (laughs) but it has to do with really the process and the depths of forgiveness, right? Something that we all need, we all can understand, and I'm going to take this in six parts, okay? Um, Forgiveness is something that we have to look at really in two directions. First of all, vertically, you know, God forgives us of our sins, Jesus died on the cross, you know, the sin debt that we couldn't pay. And this only goes in one direction because you know, God doesn't have to ask for forgiveness. He's perfect. He never hurts us. He always has our best interest in heart. But to come to the cross, to come to salvation, we need to be forgiven of those sins. And that's when we come to Christ and we, we get saved. The other part's a little tr- trickier. That's the horizontal uh, kind of sphere that we're in where we deal with each other and we are sinners and we are sinful creatures and we do hurt each other's feelings and we if you've been a Christian for some time you've asked for forgiveness right for something you did wrong or you've forgiven somebody else for something they did wrong and I like to tell singles who are considering marriage that marriage is a series of forgivenesses, so to speak and if you can't find it in your heart to forgive other people it's better to stay single <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and Forgiveness is a process, and I'm just going to be honest with you here. Okay, I'm a human being just like you. I'm a sinner just like you. And there's been times where I've gone to God in, in prayer, and I'm just being completely transparent here, and I've just said, Lord, I, I can't believe I'm still carrying this. You know, I, I should know better. I'm, I'm trying to, really, you know, and I, I agonize over it because I know I haven't forgiven. Right? And what happens is the, the deeper the wound, oftentimes the longer the process. Right? So, I mean, I would never have, if one of you came into my office and had an issue with forgiveness, I wouldn't say, well, on, at, the, at the count of three, you need to forgive. That's not for me to do, that's between you and the Lord. Uh, but it, it's something that we have to practice. So just in context, let's go through the context real quick, and then we'll jump into the parable. So Matthew 18, what was going on before, what was Jesus talking about, what led up to this? Well, Matthew 18, if you're familiar with the scripture, verses 15 through 17 jesus says to someone who's offended or who got hurt by somebody to go to that brother or sister alone and see if you can reconcile the issue, issue you know the situation not gossip to 20 people in the church and the person who offended you has no idea they did something wrong that's an aberration or a dysfunction in the body of christ i wish and we all oh, I'm, not, I'm not confrontational okay well Sometimes the Lord asks us to do difficult things. If you're really that offended and it bothers you that much, go to your brother or sister. This is important. Uh, We continue, Matthew 18, verses 18 through 20. uh, Jesus speaks about Christian unity and how we can further the kingdom of God with that Christian unity. Right? You see how important these things are. And the whole point is, is the necessity of the church to function properly. Now, remember, we went into 1 Corinthians, right? And that was a very dysfunctional church. Instead of influencing Corinth, the church of Corinth was influenced by the pagan culture in a negative respect, right? So we, we will look at dysfunctional examples and functional examples of the way we work together to achieve God's goals. Now, this prompts the apostle Peter to ask Jesus a question about forgiveness, a hypothetical in, in, in sorts. And Jesus responds to him with this parable on forgiveness. Last thing before we jump in is, what is forgiveness? That's a valid question. I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I mean, if we look at, we can look at the Greek, I can go into that. Uh, But basically, if we look at our own vernacular, which came from some of these older languages, there's three definitions that I found in Merriam-Webster's, you know, dictionary. One is to give up resentment of or claim to requital. In other words, to forgive an insult. Second definition, to grant relief from payment of, to forgive a debt. So, you know, you, you're, if you're lucky, you're a mortgage company. We'll see that they, maybe they did some predatory practices and they say, ah, oh, we're going to forgive that debt that you still owe us. So forgiveness applies in a financial sense as well. And we're going to see these two, these two veins as we go through the parable. And three, to cease to feel resentment against an offender, to yield up and to let it go and I would say to shed those negative feelings and emotions. And I'm going to go into the actual actual physiological process when we carry around bitterness and resentment, and really what it does to the, the, the viscera, the organs inside of us. It actually does have a detrimental effect on us. Um, you see many studies that say optimistic people are healthier and live longer. Well, that's actually true in some respects. We'll continue first, or actually we'll start, we'll jump in verse 21 in matthew 18 it says then peter came to him jesus and said lord how often shall my brother sin against me and i forgive him up to seven times jesus said to him i do not say to you up to seven times but up to 70 times seven the first part the question how much should we forgive you know sometimes the disciples would talk on the road and wonder they would talk amongst themselves and kind of wonder if let's should we ask Jesus this question? He knew what they were saying anyway. He's he was God. He could read their thoughts or conversations from afar. And and Peter was always the bold one that would go forward. You know, he was like, give it to Mikey, he'll eat anything. They push him forward. And Peter just sometimes just asked these questions. But what was Peter's issue? Did he have a pressing issue? Did one of his fellow fishermen rip him off and he was upset? Or was he completely moved by the context of Christian unity prior to this 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 parable coming up now there was an accepted rabbinic teaching and you can look this up the first century um, the first century BC AC or AD centuries before that and you can find these rabbinic teachings and the rabbi said that you only had to forgive the, the same person up to three times and after that you didn't have to forgive them anymore so maybe Peter thought he was generous, and he you know doubled that number and added a little bit more, giving himself a little bit of wiggle room. And certainly he wasn't expecting Jesus to respond with 70 times 7, which is 490. But this wasn't meant to stop at 490, but basically to say that there's no limit. There's really we, in, in our minds we shouldn't be looking at numbers, but we should be looking at this this overflowing love that comes from the Holy Spirit that we, we don't sit there and make a tally and again Same thing with with marriages and when you do marital uh, counseling If the husband and the wife are both keeping score about how much they've been wronged that marriage is in trouble Because uh, like I said in my opening that marriage is a series of forgiveness um, the longer you're married the more you ask and receive forgiveness but even in the Lord's Prayer, it says right in the, in, the, in the crux, in the depth of the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So it's a reflective principle. And I'm going to make the case that this parable is specifically geared towards believers forgiving other believers. All right? Can we forgive people outside? Absolutely. I'm going to cover that as well. But there's a reason again it's this christian unity it's furthering the kingdom of god i'm going to make the case at the end in the conclusion that how do we you know get, share the gospel and further the kingdom when we can't get the fundamental understanding of what forgiveness is which is what the lord gave us you know in terms of our sin verse 23 he says therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. So two out of six is the debt, the debt. The king had a servant. He had multiple servants. And somehow this one servant gets into really deep debt with his boss, with the king. Now, just to understand this this mathematically, the word talent back then, and they had different weights and measures as we do, right? We have gallons and things like that, but they had a talent which was a unit of mass which could be between 50 and 75 pounds. Now, a talent could be gold or silver, and depending on what year we're studying the Bible and to adjust for inflation and 2,000 years of, you know, uh, cycles of the economy till we get to the United States. You can only guess how much that would have been worth. But the worth of these these talents, 10,000 talents, was an extremely heavy amount of a precious metal. And there's a reason why Jesus says this. This could have been anywhere from millions of dollars to billions of dollars that this, this sole servant owed the king. Now, in a culture where in a, it was a poorer culture back then. You know, we have a middle class in the United States, so I have to kind of bring you back a few thousand years in that area. There really was not much of a middle class. You were either very poor or you had the elites that ran everything. And you used to see that in some countries today. But what we find in this parable was that it was impossible to pay the debt. It was impossible for this one servant. He's at the mercy of the king. He, he's, he's helpless. And sin is like that too. You know, I mean, you think about all the accumulated sin in our lives. You know, we live 40 years, 50, 60, 70. That's a lot. And these talents, if you do the multiplication, 10,000 talents times 70 pounds per talent is 700,000 pounds. And again, Jesus gives this astronomical figure because it's it's hyperbole, it's ridiculous. The, how could he get into such debt with this guy, and the, and the guy doesn't realize it? But you know, it's it's the same thing with us. You, know, you you add up all those sins, and then you read the Sermon on the Mount, where you you know everybody says, oh, they read its surface and they don't see the depth that Jesus was preaching. That um, if even you think of something sinful, that's a sin. You start adding those all up. You have this mammoth figure, just like this servant, that you can't pay back. That's why God sent His Son into the world to take care of that debt. And Back in those days, and in some parts of the world today, there was what was called a debtor's prison. A debtor's prison. And that basically was if you couldn't pay, you were thrown in there and you were stuck there until hopefully loved ones could scrap up some money to help get you out. And if not, you would either rot in prison or they'd sell you into slavery. Right? Again, some of these horrible practices still go on in the world, but sin is also a prison, and sin also enslaves us. You know, and and sometimes we don't realize it. We're so blinded by self, we're so blinded by the image that we see in the mirror every day, that we're we're brainwashed to not understand that how how powerful sin is, how that enslavement to self is, and again, I live. as a a non-believer and a believer, and I look back and I'm like, wow. It's almost looking back and reading a story about somebody that I didn't know. Life is completely different. Verse 26, we continue. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, for those of you that are in accounting or number stuff, you probably like this story, you know, uh, because he zeroes out the debt. <laughs> that's what he does. He just crosses it off the books. Forget it. It's forgiven. And that's the third part is forgiving the debt. Um, this servant, the first servant, begs the king because he, he's stuck. Him and his family are stuck, and there's nothing he can do to escape his fate. And you know what? Sinful human flesh, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. We can't get to heaven by our own merits. We have too much baggage. We have too much that we owe. And we can't escape it. But the king, again, has compassion, forgives him of the entire debt. And Jesus, our king, forgives our sin debt. Now, the interesting thing is, I talked to you about the debtor's prison and family members... In this situation, even his family, the whole community couldn't get him out. He's done. He's toast if the king didn't do this. Nobody had the ability. You know what I love about, about the Lord Jesus is he had the ability. <laughs> I, I just speak for myself. I don't have to speak for you. I speak for me. I was toast. I was done um, if I would have died in that state. And the only one who could have freed me is the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Not only did he forgive my debt, but he forgave all yours as well. And as we look at this insurmountable number, if you think about the sins of humankind, I don't know how you could take that empirically and put that into images or numbers that we could understand. It's off the charts. It's off the charts. Jesus had the ability to pay the debt. Now, if we look at the compassion... Well, God's compassion is found in John 3.16. It says, He so loved the world. In the Greek, it, it's, it's emphatic. He's, soul, he, he wasn't interested in the world. He wasn't fickle with the world. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Right? Why, why should God give up His Son? Why should God give up anything because of a whole race of people that have offended Him? but it's because he so loved the world. It was his compassion. Verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, or a hundred days wage. And he laid hold, he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, sound familiar? Saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Heartless. Four is, at a six, is the hypocrisy. So servant one finds another servant, servant two, and he owes him a hundred days' wage. By today's standards, for somebody who was poor, that was, maybe he owed him a few hundred dollars. Now, the point is not for us to start crunching the numbers and I've seen commentaries and they, they really want to get to the exact number and it's the numbers aren't important it's really what we're looking at is the debt disparity right a few hundred dollars versus billions of dollars big difference and basically the point is that what God forgave each one of us is so great that it com- in comparison when we're wronged by others it isn't much for the Lord to ask for us to be merciful and to be forgiving. Now, if we use a a phrase in our vernacular today, God wants us to so-called pay it forward when it comes to mercy, grace, compassion, and forgiveness. Pay it forward. Now, those of us that feel offended, often, I can assure you that we've offended others without realizing it. I think there's a A weakness in our culture and a weakness in the body of christ as one of my young adults in the balcony put it of the perpetually offended remember that conversation i'm glad you're here (laughs) so it's true We, we we're perpetually offended in our culture and i've often said show me a church in any culture look at corinth there's going to be some bleeding of the 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 leaven of that society that gets into the church at least with some people and some Christians act like that too. They're perpetually offended. They're on a hair trigger. It's like that mousetrap, that spring. All you have to do is touch it, and psh, you know. And you know what it does? It makes other people feel uncomfortable. They almost control you with their offendedness. Here's the deal: we need to get over ourselves. And I have to say that to myself sometimes: get over yourself. <laughs> You'll be fine. You know, you're. And then I try to compare myself. <laughs> you know, I just do this. You know, look what's going on in the other part of the world. You you got it good. What are you complaining about? And I talk to myself. They say that that's a sign of good mental health, by the way. I just want you to know that. Nobody has the market cornered, cornered on being a victim. You know, especially in church. The little offenses, and the, you know, they didn't say this, and they didn't say hello, and we just get into these stupid patterns, and then we start acting like the communities we're in. We're supposed to be different. Now notice, the fellow servant begged for mercy, and I said, does it sound familiar? Because the first servant did the same thing, and he was shown compassion for an incredible large amount of number, right? Large number. And the second guy has the same humility and and asking for mercy from the first guy, and he, he throws him in prison. And that's extremely hypocritical. You know, that's hypocritical. Is something we have to look at. Verse 31, we continue. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers, until he should pay all that was due him. Five, the difference between justice and grace. What's the difference? Well, justice is is basically you do something wrong. In our society, you commit a crime, you get caught, you go before the judge or the jury, and you get what you deserve. The punishment has to fit the crime. That's justice. Mercy is when you you hopefully it's a repentant person mercy you know please I, that's harsh i i can't i'm so i can't believe i'm so sorry and i'll make restitution mercy is getting you know a break it's getting it it lessened it's getting you know maybe completely absolved grace is something where you and it's hard for us to understand that on the earth and that's why we have to understand it in terms of what god does grace is you've done something wrong, truly, you're convicted, and not only do you not suffer the punishment, but you get blessed. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He showed us grace. It's one of those things where God, it had to be, you know what's amazing? It had to be all or nothing. And this wasn't where God could say, all right, all right, let me discount it down, you know, pay me back, take out a mortgage. It it doesn't work like that. God looked at us, humankind, and said, it's gotta be all or nothing. And, you know, it's funny, we're all looking for equality, and that's good. It's this incredible search society has had for equality. God has this perfect system where you could be poor, you could be uh, disabled, you could have no friends left, you still have the same means to get into heaven as much as the wealthy person, the person with the ability, the person with the charismatic personality. These two people... It's the same method to get into heaven. That's equality. That's fair. And that's not something you find in society. So justice versus grace. The king finds out what the first servant did and how he showed no mercy to the second servant, uh, servant, and he's furious. So what does he do? He institutes justice and revokes his, his grace. It's amazing. Now, this is why, and if you're a little perplexed, This is why when we study the parables, it has to be with a lot of prayer, we have to look at other scripture, we have to look at context, because people will say, okay, the king is God. Be careful with that one. The king in this has attributes to God, but God doesn't flip-flop, or I'm going to show you justice, oh, he's begging me, or I'm going to give him grace, oh, he did something wrong, let me throw back justice back at him. This is designed to help us to understand the difference between justice and grace. But God doesn't act like that. So we have to be careful. The revocation is designed to show us the difference. And my question to you this morning is, what do you want to be shown? To me, I know I've sinned against God. I know tomorrow, the next day, until I die, I'm going to sin. And it's all offensive to him. I don't want justice for me. I'm going to choose grace. You know, for those that are daring and want justice, knock yourself out. <laughs> I'm a lot smarter than that. <laughs> I'm going to take the, the easy route. You know, Jesus took the hard route to the cross for me, so that's what I'm going to choose. I'm going to trust in what he did for me. Verse 35, Jesus ends with, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. We need to break this down. Okay, let's break it down into some parts. We look at A. How do we reconcile this statement? Now, Jesus used the parables, and you can. there is some symbolism to some of the characters. Uh, Jesus used hyperbole. He used extreme exaggeration to really drive home the point, like how could some poor servant accumulate uh, $700,000 of gold, you know, so, it, But it was, again, the death disparity. So how do we rectify what he says? Does God revoke his grace? See, I look at this as if a person is, maybe they claim to be saved, and uh, there was a guy, Templeton, who was a protege of Billy Graham, and the guy went out preaching the gospel, he was on fire for the Lord and all this stuff, and, and then he decided to walk away from the Lord and write a book on how atheism is great, and just weird stuff. He just got into some bizarre things. Well, we could also say, well, maybe he wasn't saved to begin with. Maybe he liked the cameras. Maybe he liked the excitement. Maybe some people, some, come up, just make an emotional, um, you know, they do something emotional, and it's not really in their heart. But the the guy Templeton, maybe he just wasn't saved from the beginning, you know. And and I would say this, those who don't have the capacity to forgive, like in this case, he probably never truly received that forgiveness that was offered to him. And therefore, if you're not saved by grace, justice awaits you. If we're truly saved, we have the capacity to forgive. If we're truly saved, we have the capacity to love. And maybe not... The way we would see in the Scripture, um, I'm not there yet, but it's it's a, through the Holy Spirit you can do anything. And the Bible says Philippians 4:13, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." We're only limited by ourselves. You know, do we want to walk in the flesh or do we want to walk in the Spirit? The ability is there, but sometimes we don't lay hold of that ability. You know, again, if we are truly saved. We have the ability to love. We have the ability to forgive. And I can tell you this. I'm just going to speak for myself. In Joe's flesh, some of these things I don't have the ability to do. And when a situation's first presented to me or something happens, sometimes my flesh and my feelings will take over. But God works on my heart. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm going to do this through you. Just, just move out of the way. Get yourself out of the way. I'm going to do this. And if you're a Christian, for, for some time you've experienced this. Where you you have this war between your flesh and the spirit. And sometimes we just have to just get out of our own way and let God do it. And you look back and go, wow. And you know it's not you. You know that God did an incredible work through you. B. In the parable, again, this is brother to brother, brother to sister, sister to sister. Believers. Now, can we forgive those outside of the body of Christ? Absolutely. I'm going to get to that. But this is very important. Again, for the church to run effectively, there needs to be forgiveness. Now this is interesting because the Bible is an instructional book, right? We, we read the Bible. If you want to be single, great. This is what you do as a single person. If you want to be married, great. Husbands, need to do this. Wives, you need to do that. Children, you need to do this. Right? Uh, kings, you need to do this. You need to be merciful. Soldiers, citizens, you need to do this. Here's a civic responsibility, it's great. You know, you want to know what to do in life, how to run your life, you just read the Bible. It's all there. You know, you'll come upon it. But what's amazing is God even commands the offender and the offended to be repentant and seek forgiveness. Now, if somebody, you know, God says before you bring your gift to the altar, Matthew 5:23 through 24, before you go doing some service for the Lord, and you know that you've wronged somebody, leave your gift at the altar... Don't put it on yet. And this was the way they did things in the Old Testament. Go seek reconciliation and then give God your gift. That's how serious God is about us having harmony as believers. Right? Just work it out with your brother or your sister and then you can come and do something for me. It's kind of God's attitude there. So to the offender, be repentant and seek forgiveness. Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17, which I spoke about in the opening, has to do with the offended. If you've been offended... Don't run around in the church telling 20 people that you're offended and that's, that's the person who did it to me, that guy over there in the corner. And he don't even know that he did anything wrong, but all of you know. That's really mean. i am going to tell you something, and it does happen. Let me take him aside, and maybe he right away gives it up and goes, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. He's a nice guy, I'm just using that as an illustration. I always pick on the people in the front, but... <laughs> and his name is Matthew, too, and it's perfect for the book. So... <laughs> And then Luke, so the the offender, the offended, Luke 17, 3 through 4, if we can put that up, has to do with the terms. The terms. So I'm going to read this. It says, Jesus says, "...take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you, rebuke him." What? Jesus said that? Yeah. Sometimes, listen, that was wrong. What you did was wrong. Sometimes that needs to happen. Rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day... And seven times in a day, returns to you saying, I repent. You shall forgive him. Now, what is repentance? The bottom line is, and you can I can go into theology, but it means to change. It means I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, yeah, what you said, uh, I didn't even realize. I, I, wow, I, can't, I did that, didn't I? I'm really sorry I did that. It won't happen again. Restoration and reconciliation are crucial for the church to operate properly. Now, I'm a big proponent in that we as believers don't capitulate to manipulators. And I'm sure you've heard the expression. Instead of true repentance, a person comes to you and says, well, you're a Christian and you have to forgive me. Who hasn't heard that before? I mean, is that, are they repentant or are they just trying to get you get back in your good graces because you do business with them or this or that? Can you still forgive them? Sure you can. Should you be manipulated by that statement? No, you shouldn't. There was a famous radical in the 60s named Saul Alinsky, and he wrote basically in Rules for Radicals and in his manifestos how to get over on a Christian by using the word against Christians. Isn't that amazing that this stuff is out there? But how? What a great testament to the Lord in Christianity that he actually wrote that, that we should be bound at least somewhat by rules that are outside of a society that hold us to a higher standard. Thank you. You know, he's probably not in a good place right now unless he repented, but, you know, people try to do that. And I have Christians come to me all the time, and they're manipulated, and they're not, their stomach is in knots. And, and I'm like, listen, let's, let's go through this. <laughs> don't let people control you. Love them, show compassion, forgive, but don't let people control you. If I can put up the image. And this is what I call the forgiveness continuum if you look at the top, this is the responsibility of the offender. On the bottom is the responsibility of the offended. So the offender sins. Maybe it's a sin against God. Maybe it's something really minor, sin, offense. In order for the next things to have to happen, there needs to be true repentance. There needs to be at least a desire to change. right? And when we go to God for salvation, you know... It's not like we keep our self-directed life, we keep our greediness, we keep our hatred, and then we say, but I want salvation. Sure, everybody wants to go to heaven. You need to make an effort to repent. You know, Lord, I, I am a sinner. I do want to change. Help me out here. So there's change. Then there's forgiveness. Then there's restoration. Now, I think of 2 Corinthians where there was a sin in the church, in the Corinthian church, and the man was truly repent they kicked him out of the church for a while it was a pretty bad thing he was i think he was with his father's wife it was a horrible situation adulterous situation and they they said you need you need to you can't practice that and being here at the same time so the guy repents they restore him so restoration can happen well we don't get in the middle of your issue with the lord honestly if you have an issue and you come to me i'm going to say listen take it to the lord you don't have to ask me for forgiveness. I'm just a man. First John 1, 9. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Go to God. There may be an issue with the church if people in the church have either been ripped off or offended or whatever, something bad like you stole somebody's wife or something like that. Um, so that's, that has to happen. Now here, I, I put this over here because you have church, God, and interpersonal. And in between it, I wrote here, rebuild trust. Full reconciliation, person to person. And I've used this example. Now my son is, he's 17, but I used to use it when he was 5 and 6. And I said that if you babysit my son on a Saturday night, and you lose your temper with him, it's possible, and you hurt him, like you harm him, I can forgive you, but you probably won't be watching my kid next Saturday night. I can assure you that. Because what has to take place is rebuilt trust. Now, forgiveness, again, what do we, we talked about the, the definition. I've gotten over it. I've let it go. I can be cordial. I have no animosity towards you. But there's a trust issue that's outstanding. And a lot of Christians, you see, you're shaking your heads. You're like, wow, this is like, I do things pragmatically. I look at, at trust like building a house. You have a, a big house that's built of brick, and a wrecking ball in a half an hour can knock that thing down to rubble. Some of you have seen that. Right? You've actually seen it, you know, if you're in construction. Those bricks were only this big. You try to rebuild a three or four thousand square foot house with those bricks, it's going to take you months. And I look at trust like that. In one instance, bam, it can be destroyed. It can be knocked down. It takes a long... I, I, also with reputation, there's a lot of things that we build over, over the years. And with one act, we can knock the whole thing down. So trust takes time. Now why go to, we can leave this up, continue it, Um, why is it important, and I've seen this in counseling, the repentant person, and I've seen some go to a person that's offended them, and they're already starting off with, listen, you hurt me but I forgive you, and and the person's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And they're like, you hurt me, and now there's, there's this back and forth. Repentance is very important because when there's a change element, then that opens the door for that reconciliation. That's why Jesus talks about repentance. It's a scary word but it really means to change or to make a great effort, concerted effort, to change. I'll give you another example. Um, Police officer, 25 years, a lot of domestics, sometimes the you know, the female can't keep her hands to herself and sometimes it's the male. And sometimes it's dangerous and it's abusive and there needs to be a time of separation can that spouse who's been abused forgive the offender? Absolutely, but for the person's safety, health, and maybe for the kids, there needs to be a trust factor, you know, because it could be dangerous. You now, There's laws that protect people over that kind of stuff. Right? There needs to be a time of separation, not you just keep going back, you get abused, harmed, and what happens when this thing starts to escalate? So you see why it's important to have that in there. And that person can fully repent towards God, but you might, not, you might need to see a, a change, right? A change of behavior. Same thing with even money. I, I, I kind of, you know, if I, sometimes if, if you're going to help somebody financially, it's good to, if it's a large amount, to put safeguards in there, make sure the person's trustworthy. But if you give money to somebody and they take it, and they don't give it back, and you expect it back, and you lend it again, and they take it. It's it's a pattern here, right? Don't Don't keep banging your head against the wall. There's a trust issue. This person's not good with money. You see what I'm saying? Again, can you forgive it? Yes, you forgive from your heart. But why do we put ourselves into the same pattern when someone hasn't learned their lesson? You see where I'm going with this? So this is a pragmatic... Um, instance of how these things come into play. Can you forgive someone who hasn't repented and is outside of the church? Yes. You know, and, and you see this on the news a lot. A crime victim. They're a victim of a crime. And they go to court and they forgive that person. But if it's bad enough and it's, if it's heinous enough, it doesn't mean that we say, oh, judge, I want all the charges dropped. Because now there's another scripture that comes into play and that's Romans 13 person has a pattern of going out and they're a menace to society they're abusive they're harmful and you can forgive and sometimes it's forgiveness is for our own sanity to not carry that acid in our system so much it, it, your, your, your digestion your sleep patterns it just and sometimes when you just give it up and just forgive you're at peace but Romans 13 may have to take place where the bible does say that justice needs to be served in an interpersonal outside of the church, secular environment, like in a courtroom. You know, that person may not be repentant, and you're concerned that, well, it, it's happened before, it's happened to me, it could happen to somebody else, and I'm just going to let the, the jurisprudence system play its course. All right? There's times we, ha- we can forgive those that just don't have the capacity to see that they did anything wrong. Sometimes we have this in our family situations. Now again, should we and could we? I say, should we have boundaries? Yeah, we may have to have boundaries, interpersonal boundaries. You know, the person's always interfering in your life or interfering in your marriage. You put up boundaries. But you can forgive them, and you can love them, and you can accept them for who you are. We can pick our friends, but we can't pick our family members. (laughs) Some of you are blessed. I I saw an elbow. I got got good eyes up here. Some of you are blessed to have absolutely wonderful family members. Some of you have a challenge, you know, and, and you, if you don't set up boundaries, it, it affects your, your psychological health as well. That's important. Last point, uh, verse 35. The servant is delivered to the torturers or the tormentors, no doubt put in prison. And I'm going to tell you something. When we... Sometimes as the person who could forgive, when we hold that resentment, we torment ourselves. We put ourselves in prison. You know, there's a saying that when you hold on to unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, it's like drinking poison and expecting the person you're mad at to die. Nah, the more you get angry, it's going to somehow telepathically affect that other person. It doesn't work like that. And I am going to tell you, I, I love the human body, I've studied it in college. There's catabolic compounds co- called cortisol, called norepinephrine, called adrenaline, that when they continually flow throughout your bloodstream, it'll, it'll tax your adrenal glands, it'll affect your digestion, it'll affect your mental health, it'll lead to anxiety. So, you know, if we're the type of person that holds on to stuff, Maybe we need to get with the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I don't want to be that type of person. And for selfish reasons, I'm killing myself, but also I, I, I want to do what your, what your word says. I want to do what it says in the Bible. I have no doubt that this message, and it's listened on the podcast and stuff, this is just one of those messages, folks. We could, I could talk about money from the pulpit, and you might say, oh, I'm fine with that. When it comes to forgiveness, compassion, mercy, this affects all of us. Right, Starting with me, everybody. There's not one person here that this doesn't affect in some way. The parables are a little bit cryptic. They're a little bit puzzling. They're a little bit enigmatic. But there are things that are knowable about the parables. Obviously, Jesus told them so that as believers we could know certain things. Number one, that we could know and understand the forgiveness of God. That we're all sinners. And the only way to get to heaven is through the sacrifice that was made for our sin by Jesus Christ on the cross. Forgiveness, mercy, compassion. Two, it goes back to my opening, vertical, horizontal, right? Horizontal, God wants us to forgive. And especially in the church. Without forgiveness and unity in the church, it's impossible for us, whether it's a local church, or the Western church, or the aggregate church, Church is just a body of believers. It's impossible to further the kingdom of God. Why? Think about this. As Christians, we go out, we want to see our loved ones saved, and we tell, tell them all about the love, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of God. How ironic and how hypocritical if we're the type of person that's stingy with our love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace, and we're telling other people how to get saved because of God's love, mercy and grace that we've received, but we don't want someone who wronged us to receive. Think about that. Makes no sense, does it? Now again, I'll say this again. Some may leave here and say and be driving in their car alone and say, "You know what, Lord? I I haven't let this go. And I want to let this go and it's affecting me. It's affecting my relationships. Help me with this." And he will will. Sometimes we have to ask multiple times, Lord, help me with this. So, I have no doubt that this is important. And I have no doubt that this will certainly affect at least a handful of believers. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.